Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a rapt audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, thieves, everybody, welcome to the Boston Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to a podcast that we hope can make your pandemic a little cheerier as if that's possible i hope you're you're hanging in there things are starting to open up maybe kind of slowly i don't know i i I just don't think i'm ever going to a restaurant again i'm just sort of resigned to that fact but that's not true that's not true anyway i have a great guest my guest is amy rotenberg who is an attorney and now a, the president of Rotenberg Associates, where she does crisis management, communication management, all kinds of cool stuff. She's one of these cool people that got a law degree, but she does something like wicked interesting now. So please welcome Amy to the show. She is welcome, welcome, Amy. Thank you, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. You look uh, none worse for the wear. Now, Amy is in D.C. You're you got the virtual background going with the uh, totally on point with the Washington Monument back there. And those look like um, uh, what do you call those kind of flowers? Uh, Cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. Yes. Right. Right on point. So just first off, how are you holding up? How is your pandemic going? Well, my pandemic has been busy, Mm -hmm. professionally, busy, family-wise, but I think I'm one of the lucky ones, at least, that does not have young children at home. Mm -hmm. I just have one college student who had to finish his junior semester uh, from Emory University at our Mm -hmm. dining room table. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Your, uh, I'm sorry, son, daughter, did you say? Son. Son would probably rather be back in his dorm room right now. And um, it is heartbreak. It really is. I mean, we laugh, but I would hope that your son, you know, picks up sort of where he left off in September. I have a son who actually applied to Emory. I think didn't get into Emory. Ooh, sorry about that, Griff. But uh, he is on his way to the UMass Honors College in Amherst. Really Very looking, nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. But has no clue as to what it's going to look like. And I take it you you don't either as a, a college mom. Well, um, we know a little bit, uh, both specifically because of what we've learned from Emory University, but also I represent a number of colleges and universities. So I'm a little bit tuned into some of the thinking. Uh, not a lot of solid decisions yet, other than, mm. of course, the news everybody heard about Uh, the Cal State system that's going to be online for sure. Mm. Uh, Many of the other uh, universities and colleges, some of the smaller ones, are trying very hard to figure out a way to get folks, kids, staff, faculty back on campus because their entire business model really depends on the campus experience. So there's a lot of different discussions, different sort of rumors about what's going to happen. And I think everyone just has to kind of hold tight and trust 
that most of these universities, uh, the smart ones anyway, are going to be very thoughtful about uh, how they proceed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most kids would sacrifice a little to get back normalcy eventually. Like if we're talking, you know, a month or two of some online classes, I think that's people will be able to stomach that. But you're right. I mean, it's like following the money, right? <laughs> the the pressure of the money that comes into these schools to be able to deliver what they typically deliver, I got I got to figure will eventually carry the day. Um, but it's, uh, it's just kind of a sad existence. Now, speaking of college, you went to Harvard right here in our backyard here. That's right. Where, love you, Boston, love Cambridge, love awesome. all you guys. Awesome. Um, did you, did you grow up around here? Where'd you grow up? No, I grew up in Minnesota. Oh, you tell from my blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> oh, whoops. We're on the, we're, we're on an audio. You can't right. see. <laughs> No, it's a joke. I'm not blonde. She's not blonde. <laughs> She's very much a uh, brunette. And um, although your hair looks looks lovely, if you don't mind me saying, it, it, given the everything is viewed through the COVID uh, prism now. Now you have to be honest with me. You're a guest on the Boston podcast. Have you ventured out to have your your hair done? Given that apparently now these are open, right? No. First of all, I have not ventured out, okay. and no. Nothing is open in Washington, D.C. Right? We are the only, I can't say state in the nation because we're not a state even, but we're the only area in the nation that's sort of a state that is not open at all. We're, we're actually scheduled to open in phase one on Friday. So it's been a long, long slog through this uh, stay at home. So I have not had my hair done. What you see is what you get here. <laughs> I did, though, try to give myself a manicure the other day. Oh, which my goodness. Is really not a very good outcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've just seen certain friends of mine in the Boston area, females, that they happen to be. I'm sure there are many males getting their hair done, too. As you can see, mine is, is perfectly coiffed with the um the clipper number one and a half setting which means i have almost no hair so it's not a problem for me but people are i can see people are posting pictures saying i finally got my hair done and then there are several brave people who are just like yep this is my natural color totally gray now and they look different but what the hell there are more important things in life i hope i hope um what are your memories from harvard good experience fantastic i loved it Absolutely loved it. Um, I was there, um, and I want to date myself, but Mm -hmm. kind of a long time ago. And uh, really, it was quite an opportunity for a, you know, public school kid coming out of Minnesota, uh, daughter of immigrant parents. It was it was really um, life changing, frankly. And Mm -hmm. so I really am so grateful for the experience and the friends and and all of it. Do you have a couple burgers at the Tasty while you were there? Of course. Yes. Of course. Did Long- I hear that they just it just closed? Is I don't think right? I don't think it was recent. Well, in recent years it closed. I want to say we may be going back as many as five years now. But damn, those were good burgers. Yes. And um, it was like a charming place. And the times I were there, the guy who took your order was lovingly um, mean, <laughs> but but it was in a funny way, in a very good spirited way. So, but. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, Matt Damon and Minnie Driver shared their first kiss there in Goodwill Hunting. Did you know that? I think I did, but I forgot. Okay. So thank you for that that memory. 
anyway, so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what you do, and then we'll talk about how things have changed a little bit. But you, but I'm very interested in your background because you. So with uh, amazing credentials, and you were a trial lawyer for ten years, and now you find yourself doing this. Was it? Is this just more fun, or how did? I mean, you don't have to give me the whole long story, but I'm curious as to why you made that shift. Actually, I've been doing crisis management and crisis communications now for almost 19 years. And that was after 10 years of being a trial lawyer. But I was a First Amendment media lawyer, which means I represented TV stations, radio stations, and newspapers. I helped them get access to information under FOIA and data practices. And I defended them in court when they got sued for defamation and things like that. And I loved working with the media. I really did. Um, But after about 10 years um, as a trial attorney, I decided that instead of helping the media do, shall we say, evil stories about people and companies, that I would help the targets of negative media deal with it. And so I did a little switcheroo and left my big law firm and went to a very large uh, public relations firm in Minneapolis. And I started their crisis and litigation communications practice. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I got into it. And after a few years, I left and started my own company. And so have been at this as Rotenberg Associates since 2004. We originally started in Minneapolis. Our clients are national. Most of the time they came into us from uh, referrals from outside law firms or general counsels or other C-suite executives. Mm -hmm. And the matters were everywhere, including some even uh, in foreign countries. And then I made a move to the East Coast back in 2013 uh, for my husband's job. We were in Baltimore for five and a half years and then came to Washington, D.C. So Mm -hmm. our offices are in D.C. We still have offices also in Minneapolis. And our clients are all over the place. When you were in Baltimore, did you ever uh, lock horns with the Baltimore Daily Record? You're familiar with that publication? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We That was my sister publication when I was at Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly in Boston. And my counterpart in Baltimore was uh, Chris Eddings. Shout out to my good friend, Chris Eddings. Since retired. Oh, very nice. Since retired. But um, so I, I love all things media, kind of grew up with it and all that. What what is what's the most enjoyable part of this for you when you are you know I don't want to say you're fighting the media but you're you're dealing with the media when you're representing a client who is in some sort of pickle. What I really enjoy the most is at the very beginning of a matter when the client first brings me on and sort of delving in and learning about and thinking about their problem and then being strategic to Uh, come up with the best ways to help them meet their objectives. Because after all, that's really what crisis management and crisis communications is all about. It's not just about putting words on paper uh, or coming up with the perfect press release or statement. It's really about trying to help the client overcome whatever their problem was and get to the other side, hopefully with their reputation still intact. So what I do a lot is Uh, help clients make the right decisions about things to do. Because if you do the right things, then it's really easy to say the right things. 
Is is there a favorite memory you have of rescuing someone from the the depths of despair? <laughs> you must get a lot of people. <laughs> you must get a lot of people that, to call you and say, uh, "Amy, we're really effed. Uh, we can swear on a podcast. You'll pardon me, but we're fucked, Amy. What are we going to do?" <laughs> well, that happens quite often. In fact, <laughs> when I when I got into this business, my husband said to me, "Are you sure you want to have a job where?" You have the word crisis in your title. That sounds pretty stressful. Um, But the fact of the matter is our biggest successes, uh, the most gratifying moments are when my clients do not end up in the newspaper or do not end up in the news. So we're sort of the opposite of typical public relations. Most of the time, public relations professionals, publicists are actually trying to get attention media coverage, spotlight on their client. And I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to shoo the media away. Mm. Um, Or if it's inevitable that the bad thing is going to get reported, to try to minimize the length of the story, the size of the story, how many uh, news cycles it continues on. Now we have social media. So how viral does the thing go? How many mean comments are there. Mm. Uh, that's really what my objectives are with my clients typically. And it's changed so much, ha- hasn't it? H- how, since you've been at it for, you said 19 years, I think, um, it is, it used to be, <laughs> used to be we had newspapers. Kids, we used to have these things called newspapers. They would <laughs> arrive in the morning, you know, and the dog would bark when the paper boy threw the, they were simpler times. That's all I have to say. But, um, do you really, I, I presume, are thinking social media first? You really, you must, your work, you must live in a world of Twitter and how do we respond immediately and things like that. Is that, is that true? Yes, um, because what happens nowadays is there are no gatekeepers to information. In the old days, the media were the gatekeepers, and you would rely on editors and producers to sort of vet what's going to actually get put on the news. And so that could work as an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, Nowadays, everyone's a journalist, everyone's a photographer, everyone's a videographer. And so uh, we're living in a world in which content gets put out there immediately. Fact-checking comes later, sometimes never. And that's a very different uh, platform than in the old days where you could really work through uh, editors, producers, specific reporters, where your relationships with those people mattered a lot. Um, It's a whole it's a whole wild west now, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if you'll indulge me for a minute, Amy, I'm I'm a fan of uh, the film Wag the Dog, which is all about spin and the the truth versus what is being reported. Have you seen this film, Wag the Dog? Yes, yes, okay. I actually, but I haven't seen it in quite a long time. So you might have to remind me of details. Cool. I mean, I remember the the main thrust of it, but yeah. Well, counselor, perhaps this segment of the movie will refresh your memory. No, I'm going to play. I'm going to play a short <laughs> a short clip here. In the clip, what it's it it's always been. I've heard that this movie, uh, although completely fictional, might have elements that are true to life. And since you're in D.C., it it reminded me of this D.C. moment in the film where William H. Macy plays someone from the CIA who is now approaching Robert De Niro and Anne Heche, who are spinmeisters for the president and have actually concocted a phony war in Albania. 
and Macy is is confronting them and telling them. And De Niro has a great anyway. It speaks for itself. Just uh, listen up for a, for a sec, folks. Here we go. We show, and NSA confirms, there are no nuclear devices on the Canadian border. There are no nuclear devices in Albania. Albania has no nuclear capacity. Our spy satellites show no secret terrorist training camps in the Albanian hinterland. The Border Patrol, the FBI, the RCMP report no, repeat, no untoward activity along our picturesque Canadian border. The Albanian government is screaming its defense. The world is listening. There is no war. Of course there's a war. I'm watching it on television. And who might you be when it's all said and done? My name is Conrad Breen. Who do you work for? Nobody whose name you want me to say, Mr. Young, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> it's all well and good, but when the fit hits the shan, somebody's going to have to stay after school. Who do you suppose that might be? I don't know what you're talking about. The spy satellites show it, Mr. Breen. They show no war. Then what good are they if they show no war? I mean... What are we spending a quarter trillion dollars a year on the Defense Department? What good are they if they show nothing? What, are they useless? Are they just broke or what? I, mean, what is I would like to jump If there's no threat, then where are you? Huh? <laughs> Your ability to fight a two-ocean war against who? Who? Sweden and Togo? That time has passed. It's over. The war of the future is nuclear terrorism. It is, and it'll be against a small group of dissidents who, unbeknownst perhaps to their own governments, have blah, 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 blah. And to go to that war, you have to be so, prepared. You gotta be some man. say that they're were, they were actually, if you read into this, that it predicted 9-11. This is pre-9-11, and I'm, I'm getting off topic here. But the point is <laughs> that what, what De Niro says throughout the movie is, it doesn't matter what the truth is. I just I just saw it on television, so it must be true. And the frightening thing about the world we live in now is we have a president who co-opted the, the phrase fake news for his own purposes. But prior to that, the term fake news meant something. It meant that there is now the, the great equalizer of the Internet has created this playing field where anyone can have their own blog. Anyone can report things. I swear, I catch people on Facebook saying, for example, like, you know, hey, I just saw this about vaccines causing autism, which I flip out over because I have a son with autism and I know that that's not true. But people will believe anything that has a headline on it. Does that make your job difficult? Sorry, I threw, sure a, lot of, I threw a lot of info at you, Amy. I'm sorry about that. Actually, but before, before COVID, <laughs> yes. I spent a lot of time um, speaking uh, and writing about fake news and the challenges presented to companies, not just to politicians and governments, but actual to private businesses of fake news, and um, really advocating for, uh, along with many others in the journalism profession, for better uh, media literacy, you know, really teaching yeah. it in school so that people, our young people, actually even our older people now, everybody needs to know how to scrutinize and be able to determine what is true and what is not. Um, and it is, it's a very scary world that we live in now in the last few months because everybody's concerned with the pandemic. Um, this issue you know, it's part of it, right? It's part Abs of absolutely. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I should really should let you talk. You're the guest, after all. How rude of me! <laughs> but I'll, I'll just, I'll just like set set the the golf ball on the tee for you a little bit more. This is what I've been saying. The problem here is that everyone's trying to be careful and wear masks, and we're all in this together, and that's great. And I think it is smart. But the problem is like we're we're getting our information from these sources, and how do we actually know these days if they're reliable or not? Right. Well, I think it's really a call for um, 
more robust leadership and well, and true. leadership that uh, our community, our country can trust in. I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. Mm. And by the way, that's that's the same things, the same sort of core principles Pushing. counseling yeah. my clients on, mm. which is that uh, trust is an incredibly important uh, commodity these days. And the way that you earn trust, the way that you regain trust, the way that you will retain trust, which is going to be the, the difference between the companies and, um, and the politicians, frankly, that survive and those that don't, is by focusing on core values, competence, and assurance. And, you know, maybe I'll just jump right in because you're talking about uh, who do you believe. Yeah. I mean, part of that is, you know, this competence quotient, which is that when you see people and you see companies and organizations that are making decisions in a thoughtful way, in a clear way, you know, that is based on rational thinking, it's based on data, it's based on science. Those are the kinds of things that assure people. Now, to be true, mm -hmm. I mean, to be sure, there are people out there who don't care about those things, that they live in their own bubble of ideology, and there's nothing you're going to say to them that's going to change sort of their own little cone that they're in. Mm -hmm. And um, But I have a lot of faith in the American people. I have a lot of faith in the American consumer. And I think at the end of the day, the companies and the politicians, the leaders that will emerge out of our current pandemic crisis are going to be the ones who demonstrate competence, who 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 show that they have core values, whose their actions, their decisions are guided by their core values, and that they take the time from a communication standpoint to assure, you know, their stakeholders about what they're doing mm -hmm. and are transparent about it. Those are the key things. So you do really try to stress upon your clients that in the end, the being transparent, being honest, uh, going with the facts rather than some concocted version of it that might serve their needs will serve them better in the long run. Is that, I mean, don't let me put words in your mouth. But Well, look, people like to talk about uh, crisis communications, folks like me as spinmeisters or whatever. Yes, and that's what you um, are. <laughs> I, no, but it isn't because we don't spin, we tell the truth. Nobody is ever harmed by telling the truth. When you really get harmed is when you try to cover up. Was that Sarah Huckabee Sanders? No, no. Kellyanne Conway. Oh, Kellyanne Conway. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> that far off. Yeah, alternative facts. Yeah. Um, should people? Do you often counsel your clients to apologize? Uh, under what circumstances should they? Because I feel like we live in a society of apologizers now, and it's like there. There are two schools of thought. One is always safer to apologize, get out in front of it. If you've, you know, sent out a tweet that's offensive to someone or something like that. And then there are others that say enough apologizing, like, you know, own your statements and explain them. What are your thoughts on that? Well, like any good lawyer, I'll answer your question by <laughs> it saying depends. it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does depend. Yeah. And look, if, if, if you've done something wrong and you, or have said something that is truly offensive or insulting, and it's something that people obviously care about, yeah. then yes, you should own it. You should be accountable for it and you should apologize. If it has no traction, mm 
if nobody's commenting about it and nobody cares, then you don't really need to do that. And in fact, it can be harmful to do it because you're then calling attention again to something that people may not have paid any attention to in the first place. So that's the first part of it depends. Um, I think you don't have to apologize just in order to be, you know, politically correct or to be trendy with the times. I think there are certain advantages to sticking with your principles. And if you said something because you believed it, even if it's not popular, sometimes you need to hold your ground mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the right reasons. And that's, again, why it depends. It depends on what we're, what we're apologizing for. Amy Rotenberg, we find your company at, I'm sorry, could you give us the, the URL where people can find you, get in touch with you? Absolutely. So we are at www.rotenberg.com. R-O-T-E-N-B-E-R-G, Associ, like associates, A-S-S-O-C.com, rotenbergassoc.com. Very good. And that's the best way for people to get in touch with you. They can find all your info on there, and right? That's right. Yes. We okay. have offices in Minneapolis and in Washington, D.C., and the um, email and phone numbers are on the website to contact us at either location, and we can serve you wherever you are. So cool. So we're up against the clock a little bit, a little bit, but we're going to have a session of good stuff. Amy has been given all of 17 minutes to prepare for this or something, but we will offer you listeners something to brighten your day, help you through this pandemic or otherwise. Before we do that, I want to take one minute to tell you what we do at the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. Would you like your own podcast? I bet you would, kids. And if you do, you should go to that website, pod617.com. We'll send you out a USB microphone, not the crappy ones, one of the good ones. We'll do that on the house to get you started and we'll produce your podcast from start to finish remotely. We've been doing these things remotely for years now, so this is nothing new to us. You could be the next big podcast star, pod617.com, in pod we trust. And by the way, if you want to be a guest on this show, the Boston Podcast, there's no fee. There's no strings attached. If you know someone who's a business owner or otherwise who would like to get their message out during this period and let people know that they're still kicking even through this silly pandemic, just email me, david at pod617.com. You could be a guest on this show. Wouldn't that make your dreams, making your dreams today, right, Amy? A little? A little bit, yes. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that as we go into a segment of good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. All right. Do you have something, Amy Rotenberg, to enlighten our listeners with that perhaps has brought you a little bit of joy or coping or something during this period? I'll tell you the best thing that I did in the last several weeks was actually this weekend over Memorial Day weekend, we finally ventured out of the District of Columbia, Ooh. which is still on full lockdown, I might add. Wow. Uh, phase one does not even start until supposedly this coming Friday, but we ventured out of the district. We went to Shenandoah National Park. Oh, nice. Um, along Skyline Drive, beautiful in Virginia. Which is open, and, and, it's, and it's open to the public. It's Yes, the, the, the national parks are open, Okay, um, and it was just an absolute glorious experience to be in nature and hiking. We did not have great weather that day, so we didn't get to enjoy the views of the Blue Ridge Mountains, which are spectacular, but we did take some extraordinary hikes in 
really like this unbelievable cloud mist. It was like being in the land of the lost. Do you remember that TV show? <laughs> of course. Um, with the yeah, we stacks. were like yeah. in the land of the lost. That's I thought funny. the sex were going to come out at any moment. <laughs> um, but I, I do recommend it, you know, for especially for folks out there who are living in cities and are feeling a little bit uh, claustrophobic and are tired of their local uh, city parks to try yeah. to get out, see some of our glorious country in the national parks. But mm -hmm. you must bring that most prized of all treasures, your own toilet paper. Oh, man. Well, yeah. now everyone's got, you know, um, boatloads of these things because everyone foolishly um, stocked up on them. But anyway... Um, so you got to bring your own, but uh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask follow-up questions, I guess, but what, are there porta pot there are porta parties or, or, well, they have, you know, different stations with actual, uh, rest stops, rest rooms, like within the national parks. But when we were there, um, there was only one actual restroom that was open the others were closed the mm. toilet paper was gone oh boy people were lined up we were trying to social distance it was a little bit of a you know i don't want to you said we could swear in your show sure. so it was a little bit of a shit show yeah. <laughs> oh boy no pun intended no pun, i was about to say fitting <laughs> fitting yes as it were uh yeah <laughs> by the way for those for those uh younger folks that are our listeners land of the lost was this terrible saturday morning show that uh terrible but i watched all of them and it, it somehow it was about a bunch of a uh, family that went back in time to prehistoric times and the the dinosaurs were weren't even the biggest of their concern because there were these invented creatures called the slee stacks which i just found a clip see if this makes sense hold on let's see what we my friends this is a slee stack talking well, now i don't know what's happening oh this is the this is the intro. This is the intro. Oh, yeah. The greatest earthquake ever known. So, to the I wish... land. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want to laugh, like, just, just youtube land of the lost because the intro amy i should have shared my screen with you on this i have even for 1974 these were horrible special effects i mean it looks like some kid in the bathtub and then they superimpose this poor family going to, on a raft down some tunnel which somehow transported them back to prehistoric times um interesting how we got on this but anyways <laughs> land of the lost. and then apparently they made a movie with will ferrell that was that was just just as bad um so my uh, suggestion for good stuff, since my guest is Amy Rotenberg from Washington, D.C., uh, I will just mention that if you're running out of things to binge and you haven't seen this show ever, um, you should check out the TV show Veep. Now, were you a fan of that show, Amy? No? I have. Yes, I've watched not all the seasons, okay. but I've watched some of the seasons, so maybe I need to sort of circle back it's it, it's worth circling back because the show veep if you don't know starring julia louis dreyfus as the fictional vice president i think there are about six seasons or so and just brilliantly written there are, there are all these little comments that people mutter under their breath that you might have even missed the first time there was a scene where the uh the veep had offended the uh, prime minister of uh, Finland, I want to say, by singing some strange song that appeared to poke fun at the Scandinavian people. And so she had her, she dispatched her right-hand person, Dan, to make an apology. And then the Swedish 
prime minister later said to the veep she said oh i heard that apology and the and the veep says yes we were very uh we were very sorry if you know that was offensive and she said we have a sense of humor here we did not take offense at all in fact your apology made it sound like that we were all and so they panic again and they say do another apology apologize for the apology that you gave the first time because they weren't offended and uh on and on it goes but the the charm of the show is that somehow is that all the people are everyone's one character is more despicable than the next but it's all hilarious sort of like succession yes oh geez i'm glad you brought that up if you haven't seen succession go have love that i'm obsessed with that show i hope there's a third two seasons so far right or three right yeah two who's your who's your favorite character if you have one uh they're all pretty despicable on that show too okay so um i actually love the general counsel okay now i'm trying to picture the general the terry terry the general counsel okay the woman yeah i like her and then i think when when you asked who do i like i don't really like any of them they're all despicable but the one who entertains me a lot is also roman yes i mean his 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 lines are just incredible roman is played by the the culkin brother right or, or am yes. I, yeah, um, played by Kieran Culkin, um, who's Macaulay Culkin's brother. By the way, there's a third strange Culkin brother who I just noticed on the docuseries uh, Waco, which freaked me out. And he was very good, too. But um, you're right. Roman is just every he steals every scene he's in and he's terrible, but he's very funny. That's a good one. And um, I hope Succession comes back. Anyway, I hope um, we've gone way over time, but what the hell? We were having fun here with uh, Amy Rotenberg. Don't forget, uh, you can find her at rotenbergassoc.com. That's uh, Rotenberg, uh, typical spelling, and A-S-S-O-C.com. Did I get that right, Amy? You got it. Cool. Did you have a good time, I hope? This was fantastic. <laughs> I want to come up. I want to come up to Boston, to Boston, <laughs> to park my car in Harvard Yard. <laughs> Come back to have a yacht. We'll have, we'll have like a wicked good time. That'd be great. All right. So <laughs> thanks, thanks so. for having me, Dave. It's fun. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Go to pod617.com if you want your own podcast. If you want to be a guest on this show, email me, david at pod617.com. On behalf of Amy and all y'all out there, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody. Hang in there. Get outside. Go to a national park. It's fun. Watch out for the sleeve stacks. 